Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I sat down with one of my friends, a guy that I spend a lot of time with. Uh, he is our photographer. If you're familiar with our social media, you have seen tons of his work. I think he's one of the best photographers working today in hunting and fishing or in any outdoor field. I think that he has an amazing eye and does an incredible job on the edits that he does. And when I look at his photography, I think, man, that's exactly what I have pictured in my mind of what actually happened that day. Really cool. And I really enjoy talking to this guy because he turns out to be my roommate on most of the shoots. He shoots for us on uh, Saltwater Experience, Into the Blue, and Sweetwater. And through all of those shoots and plenty of other small uh, things that we do for sponsors and other things, I spend a lot of time with him. And we have told each other a lot of stories. But we got, I actually got a couple of stories out of him on this interview that I had never heard before. So I enjoyed this time with Jason Stemple, and I hope that you will also enjoy this time with him. And it's my pleasure to bring you my good friend, Jason Stemple. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. What's up, Jason Stemple? How you doing? Man, I'm doing great. We uh, find ourselves in Blue Ridge, Georgia. It's weird. We're usually uh, not someplace Blech. cold. I know. 
and it is cold up here. I'm not so fond of, of the cold, but I am fond of what I saw today, which was some very, very large trout, and we hope to catch those tomorrow. I'm excited to see that. I haven't seen a large trout in quite a while. Yeah. Since the last Since time, the last we, time went we were fishing yep. with uh, Chuck Head, our yep. good friend, who is destined to be on the podcast as well. Yep. He, uh, he assures me that he has more Trailer Park Boys quotes and other movie quotes than me or Hop. That's awesome. Well, since since we last fished with Chuck Head here in this neighborhood, I fished with him out in Colorado. And that was a good time. It's kind of funny because that trip, we had a trip where we, I called Jason and I said, um, hey, I'm going up to do this this trout fishing thing. And I think you ought to come along and get some, get some pictures. We go up there and uh, it wasn't five minutes before you figured out that you and Chuck basically knew one another without knowing one another. You'd worked, what, what, you worked at the same outfit? Well, yeah, I started guiding with a friend of mine out in Colorado, in uh, Almont, Colorado, near Crested Butte. And a uh, buddy of mine, Jason Booth, and I started guiding together really 20-something years ago. I don't know, some, yeah. some crazy number like that. And uh, Chuck said that he did some time out west. And I was like, oh, what do you do out there? He's like, oh, I guide. And I was like, well, who do you know? Who do you work with? And he was like, oh, I work for, guide for Jason Booth. I was like, well, I started guiding with him. And uh, hmm. he's the fishiest guy I know. The next summer, I was going out to uh, shoot and fish with Booth among visiting friends and all this other stuff out west and uh, ended up fishing quite a few days with Chuck on the Gunnison River. So is that, that's where you got started in, in your whole fishing um, career? Yes. I grew up in Massachusetts and I did some fly fishing as a kid. My dad taught me how to fly fish. He didn't really know any other kind of fishing and I kind of lost a hold of it. And when I moved out west, I was spin fishing, throwing rooster tails and hmm. stuff and meps. Really? Yeah, and how did you get trout. out west? Well, I went, I got out of high school. Well, that was a whole, that's a whole nother story, which I don't need to get into, but I got out of high school. And we and got I a was, lot of time. We got I a know. lot of time, Jason. And I was, a, I was an artist of sorts and I'd done some photography and I was an artist. I went to a community college for a few years and got an associate's degree in graphic design and photography. And when I got out of that, I was 19. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I was, I was thinking about starting a, some sort of business, um, doing my art, but something that would sell a sign business. And I was working, I didn't have one, but I, that was in, in the cards. I was thinking about that, working with a friend of mine who has a screen printing business. So I kind of had an in there for clients and stuff. This is in Colorado. No, this is still in Massachusetts. Okay. I was kind of deciding what I wanted to do with whatever was next. Right. I had been skiing a lot in, in, in living in Massachusetts, but skiing in Vermont a lot. But right. then I, my parents didn't want me to stay there, and I understand that now. But uh, they were like, you should venture out. And I was like, well, I kind of want to go skiing. It's spring break. And how about maybe I go out west and ski and check out some colleges? They were like, great, go. Because hmm. they just wanted to get me out of town. Right. Well, get so, you out of, they wanted to get you out of town because what? It's, well, I grew up in a small farming town in yeah. Massachusetts and great place to grow up and everything, but I just hadn't seen that much. Right. And didn't have much of a worldview at that point in a, a town of 3,000 people in a small little town. Right. So your doesn't parents, give you much perspective. Your parents are a, encouraging that highly. 
Yes. Get out. Yes. Get out, see things. I would encourage that to anybody. But uh, so I went out with a buddy and skied and checked out some colleges and I was out in the Rockies and I was like, oh my Lord. Had you ever seen that before? I'd been out there when I was 10 with my parents, Mm -hmm. but you know. And so what colleges did you go see? I went, so I had a four-year college book. Back then, that's how you did it (laughs) because there was no internet. So you got this big giant book full of four-year colleges Mm -hmm. um, and I had an atlas and probably some powder magazine. (laughs) (laughs) And I was kind of measuring out the mileage between schools that I could get into and ski resorts that had steep terrain. Right. So So that that led you down the road of which ones met the criteria. I, I only had, there was only a couple to choose from because I really thought Colorado was the one I didn't really, for some reason, Montana, Wyoming, none of that really stuck out to me. It was Colorado. So I was looking at CU Boulder, DU and Denver, and I kind of drove into those places and I was just like, wow, these are giant cities. Yeah. Even, even Boulder to me, you know, I grew up in a town of 3000 people. So Boulder was like a giant city to me. Yeah. And then... Drove out to Gunnison, checked out Western State College of Colorado, hmm. which just happens to be 30 minutes from Crested Butte, which was an amazing ski resort. Yeah. And turns out just happens to be the home of the Gunnison River, too. So wow. that was the bonus. And that's it? That's where you went? Yep. So the next fall, I went out there. So you come home and you tell your parents, I found it. I found it. Yep. I'm going out to college there. And they're like, that's awesome. Great. And, did, and at this point, did you know what you were going to study? Well, I already had my art degree. Okay. Art and photography. Um, so I had basically, so I had an associate's degree in that. So I was like, well, I can minor in that. And I'm pretty much done there. And then I can do two years and get a business degree. Because I, I kind of just wanted to be an entrepreneur of some sort. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. but Right. So I was like, I'll just go get a business degree. All I have to do is get my business courses and I can ski a lot. Right. <laughs> and so, was that is that what happened? Mm-hmm. I went out and uh, didn't know anybody, not a soul. And uh, I just started skiing a bunch. Skied 120 days a year and took Tuesday, Thursday classes in the spring semester so I could ski five days a week. Mm-hmm. Just went about my business and got my degree, did some photography. Not a ton. I was doing some here and there. Graduated in a couple of years and it's time for something new. Something new, but didn't you stay out there? Yeah, sometime no, I wasn't going to move anywhere now. Yeah, so you you really like the you really like the area, yeah. and had you, I mean, after a little while, you started meeting some friends, right? Yeah, no, by the you know, I I met some friends pretty quickly, and uh, some mostly skiing people. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask if they were skiing people or fishing people. Pretty much all skiing. Huh. So, so I at skied this point, all the time. At this point, it. you're throwing rooster tails in the in the summertime and skiing. You got the hardcore mm-hmm. skiing group in the in the winter, but you have not cracked the code on the on no. the Western fishing yet. No, it wasn't. It was a, quite a bit later. I was uh, so I was skiing all the time, and when I graduated, I started working at the uh, at the photo concession mm-hmm. at the ski resort, taking pictures oh. at the top of the hill. The people coming okay. off the lift, harassing them, trying to get their pictures, and we. So could, how how did that work back then? Because I kind of remember you know, things like that, but it's so much different today because it's digital. And by the time you get down to the, to the bottom of the hill, your pictures are probably on the screen 
there yep. and you're like, I don't like that one. So, oh, that one makes me. And you probably and you probably took a hundred pictures with your cell phone anyway. And right. And and then I mean, even when you go to Disney World or something, they take pictures of you on the roller coaster, and by the time you're walking out, they're already up there. So how did it work when you're taking pictures? I mean, back then it's film. Film. Yep. Right. So basically when I started there, they were like, Okay, we need photographers. So I would stand up at the top of the hill, people get off the lift, and your job was to harass them and be like, Hey, can I take your picture? There's you don't have to buy them. Just take them and you can come down and look at them later and right. decide. And for me, that was just terrifying. I'm, oh. not, I'm not outgoing. I certainly don't want to harass people. So I'd come <laughs> down with like three pictures. Or I'd, I'd see my friends. I'd be like, please, let me take your picture because I need to show <laughs> you them. fill my quota. I, I, yeah, I need to show them something. So about halfway through the first season, they realized that I was horrible at this. But I had a good background and photos and being in the dark room. So they started putting me in the dark room. So I learned all about a color dark. I'd never done in really any color stuff. So I started working in the color dark room. So like you're saying, how does that work? Well, that was my job. So I'd be in the dark room and all the photographers would come down from the day and bring me their film. Hmm. So it was my job to so, pump out the film really quick. So by four o'clock, there would be pictures for people to come not, down. You're not taking pictures anymore. No, point. I stopped doing that. I would do some action shoots because I was. So what do you that. think about that? Like all of a sudden, you're you're at, on one hand, you're super relieved probably that you don't have to harass people, but on the other hand, you're not on the mountain anymore. You're in a dark room. Well, it was better for me. Was so, it? So the dark room gig was awesome. If you're a ski bum, mm-hmm. so I would go in at. 7.30 in the morning or so, I would print all the prints that people had bought the day before. And then there's no film coming down the mountain till noon. So I could be the first one on the lifts. Oh. Plus I had a pass. I could go up early before other people could get up there because I had the jacket that said I was, because the photographers could go up first. So then right. I'd look like one of the photographers. I'd go up, I'd ski till about noon, come down, then people start bringing me film. So I'd get all the best skiing in. Right free pass it was sounds good it was pretty and, awesome and were, are you able to make enough money to survive in an no. expensive resort no, town not at all <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible for that but i was just out of college i didn't care but, and then i'd start i started bartending too that's and, how you really make okay money. and do you live in a photographer ski bum compound with a bunch of no back then dirt it was, bags well yes <laughs> it was yeah it wasn't like they had employee housing but it was uh yeah, there was a, a string of apartments and houses and getting kicked out. I lived in, I had a dog at that point. And what kind of dog accompanies you in your dark room? No, yeah, you can't have, can't have fur in the dark room. No, okay. No, so fur, no hair kind in the dark room. That's what very kind bad. of dog is this? This was a uh, sheepdog Malamute mix. Mm. She was pretty awesome. She looked like Disney, but she hated kids. Oh. So. She was she was pretty awesome. I didn't have. Can kids, I pet so. your dog? No, no, no. The kids would do that because she looked like a cartoon character. They'd run up to her and she'd jump on their face. Oh, but, uh, oh that's great in a resort town. But she was pretty awesome. But uh, so I had trouble finding places because you know, so you get kicked out every time there was an off season. People wanted to renovate their house or they came for the season, and uh, so I I spent a couple summers living in a tent, you know, here and there, living with the dog in the tent. And, Did you live in a teepee ever? I didn't. I knew that was, people that did, but that yeah. was that was <laughs> that kind was, of that was kind of the. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I knew people that lived in a teepee in around Jackson, and 
it always seemed like the TP was one step away from the, the trailer. Like first you're <laughs> in a tent, like you're just living out of your car. Then you're mm-hmm. in a tent. Then you needed something a little more, a little more permanent. So you got a TP. And the next thing was maybe, maybe the trailer. Yeah. When, never, you live, when you're living in the TP and it's winter. Man, that's um, got to be tough. I'm out. What if you're, what if you're, I mean, I, I knew people that would live in a teepee in the winter and then their job was pounding nails all day long. I mean, just never warm, right? In, in yeah, the, never in warm. Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho, Montana, yeah. that area, you're just never warming up. I guess. No, I had plenty of friends in, in construction out there and working straight through the winter out there, 30 below. Yeah, they just, brutal. they do it anyway. Yeah. No. Pound, pound those nails. And, um, I never did that. I did. You pounded nails? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Out Third west? Time. Out west, yeah. In the winter? Um, no, because in the winter, I would have my real job. Yeah, okay. My, my real, my so quote, this is the, quote, real job. This is in know? the summer. Mostly in the summer or off, or, you know, mud season or fall, you mm-hmm. know. And temporary? Temporary. Do you have skills? Yeah. Are you a carpenter? I wouldn't say I'm a carpenter, but I can... Carpent? Is that a word? That's probably not a word. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> I can build stuff. I built. Like, like I what? Mean, well, what built, did you build? Did you build a if boat? I, if I had, I could build a boat. I could build a room. I could gut a house and renovate it. Well, that's good skills. I got, I have most of the skills. I don't do plumbing. Plumbing oh, scares me. Well. Yeah. Electric, I can do. What? Electric. Have you ever tried to do plumbing and electric at the same time? That's a horrible idea. No, I don't do plumbing at all. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid, of, with that. I'm afraid of both electric and plumbing because, you know, the th- problem with the plumbing is that you, you, you think it's good. You seal up the wall, you do all this stuff, and then no, never seal up the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I, I try not to do the plumbing. I, you know, I missed, I missed that in, and, uh, in my growing up. I never worked as a, um, as a carpenter or carpenter's assistant or any of that. I mean, and that's what I told my kids is that, man, those, are, those skills are so valuable. Because, I mean, you can buy a house and you can look at, or you can look at the house and say, whoa, all of that stuff is out of my league. I'm not going to be able to save any money. My skills will not help in this project. Or you could go in there and go, man, looks like this just needs a little drywall and, yeah, you know, basic carpentry and I think we're good to go. Yeah. No, I enjoy that. And I've done it several times now. And I mean, I think I'm, you know. I'm hundreds of thousands of dollars of dollars ahead yeah. of where I would have been ten well, years can, ago by renovating houses that we lived in and and then moving you know moving up the ladder. There's absolutely no question that if I had carpentry skills, um, we probably would have moved up the ladder much faster. You know, doing yeah, basic or, I mean, stuff like crown molding, doing stuff mm-hmm. like um, you know, putting in the uh, what's the half wall called the the uh, Wayne's coating, Wayne's coating, Wayne's yep. coating with, yeah. the, with the chair rail. Yep. It's very yep. simple. I've done that. And it's incredibly simple. The bath, all three bathrooms in my house right now have right. that because it just, it looks, looks super it, nice and it, it looks like you really know what you're doing. Right. But it is probably the easiest yeah, it's thing. But even that I'm, I'm kind of intimidated by the, if, if I'm intimidated by Wayne's coating and a chair rail, that does not. You just, need, you well. just need a decent saw and a finished nail. Gun. I know. I know, but, that's, but at you know. the time that I started needing to do these things, I was also booked every single day. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, how much am I going to really save when somebody's paying me top dollar to take them fishing? Is it better to go fishing and pay someone half of what I'm uh, getting yeah. paid to 
do this work. Yep. If you have the bookings. Right. You got I've, I've I really, been through that a lot. I really do wish that I had had been able to to help with those projects. Like on our first house in Key West, that it would have been great because later what you don't realize is is that yes, you do get this house going and everything's great and you are able to move up the ladder, you can move to the next house. But what you don't realize is on the on the horizon is a hurricane somewhere that you can't predict. <laughs> And that one comes through and not only are you not fishing, but your house is wrecked. Yep. So you got to renovate again. Yeah. And of course the Florida Keys are, are uh, recovering from Irma right now. The one that got, got us was Wilma. That was, that was quite a while ago. But, um, so now you're, now you're, you've got this winter job, you've got a summer job, but you still haven't cracked into the fishing. I want to know when the fishing happens. Okay. Well, it kind of relates to what we were just talking about because. So I was uh, homeless or camping, whatever you want to call it, well, out west. You're 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 happily homeless, right? So well, I was looking for a place to rent. Yeah, but it's a ski town. It was expensive, and finding a room is hard, especially with a dog. So do you ever think and, uh, about just packing it up and going home, like home no, to Massachusetts? I, no, I never did. Yeah, I thought about how am I going to solve this problem, and I was like, well, I need to build a house. Because I can't find a room, let's make a room. Hmm. Talked to my parents, and my dad was into it, and uh, they helped me out with the down payment. Really, not really a down payment. They helped me buy a lot. Okay, so I bought a lot, thirty-five grand in Crested Butte South. It was about like seven miles south of Crested Butte. It was kind of a, I don't know, it's weird out there, but I guess you'd call it a suburb of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of on the hillside, a bunch of homes being Probably built. Probably an old, an old ranch. Or something. Yep. Yeah, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. It was just starting. So I bought a lot and kind of talked to some people and found a guy who was sort of a contractor, sort of not. And I was easily convinced to, that this was going to be the way to not spend a lot of money and build a house. And I was like, I got nothing to do. Teach me how to build a house. Hmm. And did he know enough to pour a foundation? And, and yeah, I mean, he that? knew a lot. He kind of screwed me over in different ways, but I was the laborer on it, and it was him and another guy and me, and uh, poured concrete in it's like November, mm. Colorado. That's with like chilly. tents of put tents of uh, of plastic over it with kerosene heaters, trying to keep it warm enough so it would set up, so the footers would set up. Wow! And then we built straight into the winter. Hmm. In and this was uh, the winter of 94, 95, I believe, so, which happened to be one of the biggest winters one of the Crestor Beats has ever, has ever seen. So so do you have plans for this house? Yeah, it's, we had an architect. Draw, I kind of drew it up myself with some help. And then we had an architect draw that out for real. And then we started building. Okay. And at this point, it's just you and your dog. There's no, yep. there's no lady in your life. No, nope, not yet. So you're, you're just... You're just building this house with these two guys that you barely know. Yep. You're learning every single day, but yep. probably not fast enough. And I know I'm gonna I know I'm gonna get roommates. It's gonna be a three bedroom house and I know I'm gonna get roommates right. to help me pay the bills once it's done. How many bedrooms is this house? Three bedrooms. Did you just three say baths. that? Did you just say how many bedrooms it was I'm right sure. before I asked? I'm not sure, maybe. Sometimes I wonder <laughs> your memory's going a little. Yeah, we're, like, we're getting old. Like I think I might have. I think he might have just told me it was three bedrooms. Okay, so three bedrooms, three baths, and it takes. Uh, is it finished in a year from from 
starting? Um, well, by spring, I know in May we were sheetrocking, and it this was like I was saying it was one of the biggest snow years ever for Crested Butte until last year, the year before, but huge snow year. So in May we're trying, we're all, you know, we're all dried in. We have heat inside and stuff. We're sheetrocking and kind of doing some sort of finishing stuff. Mm-hmm. And it snowed 27 out of 30 one days in May. <laughs> so, you know, there's five, six, 10 feet of snow outside. But you have it closed in. It's closed right? in. Okay. You know, yeah, it's closed in. Um, at that point, I'd been sleeping on somebody's floor. So at that point, I was I moved in, you know, without, <laughs> without necessarily much of the comforts of home. But Does it have heat? It had heat. Okay. So... It was fine. Plywood floors and, you know, heat. At that point, it's a lot it's better than sleeping pl- yeah. in, in, a, in a homemade igloo Absolutely. outside, right? Absolutely. Because it was cold that winter. Yeah. As every winter was out there. But uh, but it was good. But I, so that's like we were talking about, you know, you said you, it's nice to have somebody teach you how to do that stuff or I learned everything. Yeah. You know, I learned from the start how to build a house. Granted, I wouldn't, I'm not real good at framing exterior walls and roofing and putting in all that stuff because I just saw it done once. Yeah. You know, but the sheetrocking and, you know, all the interior stuff was, I was really good at Mm -hmm. or getting good at. Learned a lot. And so, would you do it again, you think? Build a house from scratch? Yes. But I would, I prefer to renovate something that's already there, but I wouldn't mind building. Mm -hmm. But But I don't think I'm older and I don't have the skills to know what I'm doing during the actual so how building process. how old are you when you're building this house? Um, quick math lesson here. I was uh, 24, 25. So at 24, 25 years old, I, I remember being, I, I was both out, out west. I mean, I was out west at that same time in my life. You weren't very far away. I know. Just several hundred miles to the north. Um, but I remember this one particular thing happening. And one of the fishing guides that I was friends with, he's like, hey, man, I just bought a lot. Come down here and check it out. I'm building this house on it. And he was, he was a, a hardworking fishing guide, one of the best ones in the valley. And he was building this house. And it was like, you know, he had the bedroom complete. He had the, the kitchen complete. But he's working on the rest of the house, right? Maybe the bathroom's complete, mm-hmm. right? They've got a little, little bit of living area. But the rest is just open plywood. And I just thought that was really cool. And he says, hey, you know, the lot next door is for sale. You ought to buy that. And I just remember recoiling and thinking, I'm, I'm not old enough to buy a house. I'm not old enough to buy a lot. And of course, where this lot was, I probably, I, I don't know, 10 times 20 of what I would have paid for it at that point. Like yeah. the lot you're talking yeah. about in Crested Butte. I, I mean, I'm sure that... That a lot hadn't sold for $35,000 there no. last year. Yeah. Maybe put a zero on the end of it yep. or maybe two zeros on the end of yeah. it for some of these Western towns that at, at that time, they're just, I mean, Jackson Hole, there were plenty of lots available yeah. right in w- right. what would be considered downtown Jackson Hole. I mean, if it was right around the square, of course, you know, that has been developed for a long time, but these little out areas like you're talking about. It's just a, it's just a sagebrush you, you, field, yeah, basically. Yeah, you could, you could buy there or, or up on the hill 
or, you know, just a little bit out of town. And of course, the further out of town you went, the cheaper it got. And, uh, but I just remember this, this situation of just feeling like I'm not old enough to do that. And, and it kind of freaked me out. I mean, it really freaked me out. And, you know, had I just thought about it and said, Hey dad, this would be a great opportunity. Maybe he would have been interested, but I also had plenty of customers that would have been interested in something like that. But I just recoiled from that situation because I felt like I was just not old enough and not ready for that and didn't want to hear about it. And in fact, the house that we were renting on Crabtree Lane, which is behind the old or behind the new post office in Jackson was brand new. And the owner came to us after we had rented it for a little while. It's like, Hey, you know, we're selling this house 150 and $150,000. For for that oh house, and that's how I remember it. I know it wasn't more than two hundred, so somewhere between one hundred and fifty and probably one hundred and eighty. But I I seem to remember the one hundred and fifty number, and it would have been the greatest investment of the of a lifetime, probably. But I just really felt like I wasn't. Did you Did you feel like that? Like all of a sudden you're twenty four and now you're a part of this community and you're building a house and uh, I was definitely in the fake it till you make it, and I. I barely felt like I was part of the community at that point. You know, I was, I was 24 and I just didn't want to be sleeping on somebody's floor or spend the next summer camping. Yeah. But and I was trying to solve the problem. I was like, do I buy a trailer? Do I move? Do I move back down to Gunnison, which is not a good option? You know, mm-hmm. there was, yeah. But there's a lot of your friends that probably avoided that decision and then just faded off. They couldn't make it. They left. Definitely. Yeah. I saw that happen too. Is that you either, you either planted your roots or you just kind of washed out eventually yeah. because, you know, as people start getting married, you're not really all that welcome sleeping on the couch. I mean, for a while, yeah. sleeping on somebody's <laughs> couch is fine, you know? Yeah. Well, that's Jason over there. But after a while, it's kind of like, yeah, there were guys, yeah. girlfriend starts was, moving in or his wife moves in and it's kind of like, okay, Jason, you and your dog are going to be, you can camp in the yard for a week. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then there are going to be some, other plans that need to yeah, be Yeah, there were definitely times when they'd your friends would see you show up with your backpack and be like, oh, God, he wants to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's full-on homeless right there. Yeah, we called it camping, but yeah, it was full-on yeah. homeless. Full-on homeless. So from but, full-on homeless to... Um, to building the house. To building the house, but then to 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 fitting into this community and getting a job. And, and, and I know that fishing started to Well, play. I was always employed. Yeah. But you're building the house actually leads me into how the fishing started for me, which is kind of a weird deal. So I was, I was building the house. And like I said, in May, I was, uh, we were sheetrocking. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I hadn't, I'd tried to fly fish a couple of times and then picked it up and then like, I can't catch fish. So I'd go back to the spinning rod and, and I wasn't doing a whole lot of either. But, uh, so I'm sheetrocking my house. I, again, I was the laborer. So I'd have anybody come in. Anybody I paid to come in had to use me as their labor. Right. So I would learn something and save money because at this point I was out of money. The guy who had contracted with to build my house was like, you're out of money, dude. Bye. Mm. I was like, okay, I guess it's just me. And my whole house is pretty much plywood and G-Rock on the inside. And, mm. you know, it, it wasn't finished. But so I'm working with a sheet rocker and the sheet rocker is this uh, pretty eccentric guy he was a vietnam vet a little older obviously and uh he apparently was this fly fishing guru at least he would tell you that Mm. so i was like okay dude take me fishing it's been snowing for 30 days and the ski resort's been closed for a month and a half yeah 
I was like, let's go fishing. Teach me. He was like, all right, let's go. So it's May. It's snowing. But if you've been out west a bunch, you know that before the runoff, kind of after winter, before the runoff, when the river's up a little and green, it's some of the best fishing of the year. Yeah, it's magic little it's magic. little window. Yeah. And you kind of need to be a local for that because... Yeah, because you're not going to go there. It's horrible. It's yeah. snowing. It's May. You're and like, chances, I'm going somewhere warm. The chances of hitting that little window yeah. are not that good. No. So it's kind of a local's, a local's benefit. Yeah. Nobody on the river. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's horrible out there. It's, you know, it's 30 degrees and snowing. So he was like, all right, let's go. So he has developed these little things and he called them pookie boats. So this is a styrofoam horseshoe. It's almost kind of <laughs> like fiberglass. I don't know. It had some coating around the edge of it. It was okay. like square about the size of this table here. So it's probably maybe three by three feet and it's, 18 inches deep. Is this like a float tube? I mean, it like a kinda, hard? It's hard. It's okay. solid. And then, so it's a hort, not a hort. Yeah, it's a horseshoe, but square. Okay. And then it's got a metal rod on the front side that's kind of holding it, the horseshoe together. Yeah. So you sit on top of this thing in your waders, and you put your feet through the middle there, and you have kick fins. Uh-huh. And this is before, I'm sure you know, before any of those little... Companies were coming out with the little cataracts that right. you could kick fin around. I mean, the closest row. thing is a is a float tube mm-hmm. to this. Yes, but you couldn't take a float tube down these rivers; you'd die. Huh? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or you'd be too far down. Yeah. So this thing, you're sitting actually above the surface of the water. Okay. And by about four inches or something. Okay. Sounds horribly dangerous. Hor- horribly <laughs> dangerous. Yes. Okay. Probably You're wearing waders. Wearing waders. You have no idea what to do if you go under. May or may not have had a PFD on. I'm not sure. Yeah, you may or may not have had a waiter belt on. Yeah, probably. I had a waiter belt on. And back then, that's before Gore-Tex waders, so you're wearing the old... You're wearing Gore-Tex waders? Yes. Dude, because those days that you're talking about... I feel like we had Gore-Tex waders on. I feel like you might have had giant... Red we balls. Might have, we might have. Yeah. <laughs> Duck hunting specials. We might, we might have. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking you might have. That's a death trap. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're sitting on a horseshoe. So you're sitting on a horseshoe. And he was like, this is how you do it. Set up my whole rig to strike indicator nymph. That was the first time I'd ever seen that. Okay. And actually had Sage RPL. Nine and a half foot, five weight. Hmm. So usually, you know, that's a pretty rare rod. You don't have nine and a half feet. But man, it helped when you're sitting on the surface of the water to give that extra roll casting and nymphing and mending. So he taught me, man, and it was like, you'd get in these little boats and you'd float down and you could just kind of eddy out like a kayak and fish the runs. Were were you able to to steer it? I mean, like... Yeah, man. You have was, to kick it. It was just like a, it was just like rowing a raft or a, you know, or a drift boat. You know, you just put the back. You know, you yeah. kick yep. a little to the side, steer it, and kick so at backwards. This point, at this point, or you'd kick backwards to slow down and fish. Do you out have any river experience? Hell no, I knew nothing. I'd so never been in the river before, in May, except wait, waiting a little bit. So it's snowing in May. This guy puts. Waiters on you, yeah. Sits you on this boat yep. that you're, you're unfamiliar with. Puts flippers on your feet, yeah. And well, then the hands you a fly rod, yeah. 
<laughs> sounds like a disaster crazy. waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, crazy, but pretty awesome. Yeah. But then it was, you know, it was the Gunnison River, which is class one at most, you know, the whole way down. But yeah, it's cold. But still. But, so there's not, there's not a whole lot of danger. Okay. But yeah. But yes. Okay. So he happened, but, he's made this boat and he has two of them. And he's yeah. got a couple of fly yep. rods. They're little one-man things. Yeah, he's got everything. And he was just like, let's go. Okay. And we so how did that day turn out? Was, you know, spring, water's green, big rainbows are coming up out of the lake to spawn. And we probably, we caught all these 18, 20 inch rainbows. It was, I mean, it was pretty incredible. Wow. You know, more fish in that day than I'd ever seen in three years of living there with a spinning rod. And so what does this day do for you? I mean, it was everything. I was just like, wow, I don't, I don't spin fish anymore. I'm a fly fisherman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started thinking, what, wow, this is crazy. This is what I do in the summer now. You know, it was I mean, it was night and day. I was just like... Did you think that there was no way to fish other than this pookie boat? No, I mean, I knew you could do the same things wading, but we also... The Gunnison River is, you know, probably 70, 30 private to public. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we fished all this amazing private water. How does the the public-private water work in in Colorado in terms of um, the stream bottom and the high water mark? So in Colorado, the property owner owns the riverbed mm-hmm. so you cannot touch a rock you cannot if you're touching the bottom you're trespassing okay and they're pretty serious about it yep so what about the high water mark if you're floating you can be wherever you want to be okay yeah i guess the high water but mark if you doesn't touch, matter if you touch the bottom in the middle if you touch right. the side you're trespassing so what we're Really, t- I mean, all of these different states have different yes. different rules. Colorado seems to be very similar to Wyoming, where if you enter a river at a public access, you are by law allowed to float through anyone's private property, yes. even if it is Ted Turner's billion dollar ranch. You can by law float through there without touching the bottom, without stopping, without doing anything other than floating on the well, river. Yes. You cannot touch the bottom. Right. You cannot anchor. Right. Your anchor cannot right. touch the bottom. Now. However, you can eddy out, stay for a week. Yeah. If you're not touching the bottom. You're just you're just paddling along yep. in there. Right? You're Absolutely. just rowing upstream. And yep. if you can do that. Um, so Wyoming is like that. And we used to fish above the Warren Bridge in Wyoming. So the Wind River Range is an amazing little place. Wind River Range is here. It the 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 Green River, uh, the headwaters of the Green River flow down through this high desert sagebrush, and you can go up above Warren Bridge, and then you can float down below Warren Bridge, and you can start to get into the um, the private areas. That's all the Green River. Yeah, and the fishing was good, but what we would do there is we would just be fishing, and all of a sudden you would just see this cowboy on a horse single cowboy on a horse with a rifle across the saddle. And he would just parallel you all the way through the property. Kind of spooky. And you'd kind of think, oh, I was here. I saw him yesterday. I'll just wave at him. No response. Yeah, don't bother. Just no response. But the the rifle across the saddle was uh, alarming. Um, Some people claim they got shot at. I never got shot at. I heard some shots, but I don't think they were shooting at us. Anyway, so Wyoming and Colorado are similar in their in their water rights. 
Montana is the fisherman's friend in that, um, well, I guess it used to be this way and I don't know that it's changed, but yeah, there's um, some, ba- there's battles that go when, on when I was out in Mon- in that area, Montana was the, a great place to go and fish public water or private water, because if you could enter at a public access, you can walk along the stream bottom as long as you want to. You can also up to the high water mark. So the high water mark is a very visible line that's that's on the bank. And when you get into the fall, the fall, uh, the water levels drop and you, you can walk. I mean, it might be in some of the rivers, there might be a hundred yards from the river to the high water mark. So you can just walk. You could walk 30 miles right through the, the nicest ranches and everything like that if you wanted to, but you can't leave there. Yeah, you have you to walk leave all the way back up. Yeah, you either have to walk all the way back up or all the way through to the next access. And sometimes those accesses are not not good. But Montana always seemed to be the most friendly. Like uh, all of the ranchers were just kind of like, okay, that's I mean, what it is. You yeah. can do that. That's what it is. You're doing your uh, thing. And that's I good. like the concept of that. I think it's the right thing, and it's probably the way it should be. But as a fisherman out there, I mean, jumping a little ahead of the story, but once I had a boat. I was like, I don't want that, you know, because I was like, this is all mine now. I can go wherever I want. As long as I don't touch the bottom, I can fish wherever and there's right. nobody out here. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, but I don't know that I you get, really. I get it, but you know. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking about such big areas out there that I don't I don't think that you really see th- that so much in Montana. I mean, traffic, certain places, yeah. of course, where, well, the, river, where the access yeah. is. Our river is a little small, you know, it wasn't one of these big, giant. Right. But Montana anyway. style rivers. But so. Yeah. The different water rights will will dictate how you, how you're fishing in the different yeah. states for sure. But uh, so that day did turn you into a fly fisherman, definitely. And turning um, you into a fly fisherman changes your life. Yeah. How? Well, I mean, it didn't. I mean, I don't think it happened right away. I mean, I started fly fishing, and I started the next. By this time, I think I not only did the the uh, photo concession in the winter. Um, the family that owned that photo concession also had a summer photo concession. Oh, okay. I mean, sorry, at the ski resort. They also had a photo concession on the river shooting rafters. Oh. So I kind of turned it over, and in the summer I'd work for them for a couple of months. And this is more darkroom work, or you're just taking pictures? Both. Yeah, I liked this because it was, I didn't have to get yeah. up there and harass people. Uh-huh. I would just go. I did have to give a little speech at the beginning of it, you know. Safety that, speech or what? Later, but no, the, I just did a, during the safety speech that they would give before the rafters went down, they'd be like, and this is Jason, our photographer. And I'd be like, I'm going to take your picture. Come on down later. Blah, blah, blah. So on those, you would, they would put the raft in a whole group of tourists with, you know, maybe 10 rafts. They would go down through the first rapid. I would go down there and shoot each boat as it came through the first rapid, mm-hmm. get in the van, haul butt down go in a little closet, develop the pictures into a contact sheet, and then when they got down at the end, sell them pictures from the contact sheet. That had to be pretty high tech. Like It was like, extremely low tech as far as darkroom goes. Yeah, well, but but still, for that concessioner to be like, man, you know what we need? We need a darkroom right here on site because we don't have time. There's not enough time to wait for these people to get back over here. Right. We have to have this now. Right. Which is awesome that you think it was high tech because so we would go down 
And then this little, you know, it's all these, it's quintessential West. You know, there was these little log cabin buildings where the fly shop was and the rafting thing and this little place where, you know, a little pavilion. And in that little pavilion, there was this tiny little closet with no run, nothing. It was just the one place you could get completely dark. <laughs> so we would go down there, cut the camera out of your film. I mean, sorry, cut the film out of your camera uh-huh. because you didn't want to waste, you know, it's 24 oh. or 36 and maybe you only took 12 pictures. Film was expensive. <laughs> yeah, for so, people, so you would, for, for so, young people, yeah. fit, pictures film. used to come film on, on rolls. <laughs> yep, so you'd pull it out in complete darkness, not red light like you think of in the movies with the dark room. This yeah. is color film. Can't be exposed to any light, not red light, anything. So you go in complete darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your face, open your camera, pull the film out, cut it out, roll that onto a spool, put that spool into a, put the top on this, put the spool into a canister, put the top on there, and then you can turn the light on. And then you start pouring chemicals into this thing, timing it, shaking it, Mm. pour that out, pour another chemical in there, timing it, shaking it. And then you pull your film out and it's developed. How many, um, how many rolls did it take you to not screw it up anymore? <laughs> um, it sounds like a process. You screw one up every now and then. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty good at this point, though, because I'd done that up at the ski resort for a long time. Although we had machines up at the ski resort because we had a pretty high, much higher tech dark room. Right. But uh, I was pretty good at it. Wow. But... uh. So then you've got those and you're, you're printing those on, I mean, these are eight by tens or what? Well, so the, 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 on those, we would make a contact sheet. So basically you take oh. your film, all your film gets put in a plastic sheet and then you slap it on an eight by 10 piece of paper, expose that. And then, so you'd have a contact sheet, which was, you know, 35 millimeter little pictures for people to look at. And then you'd put them on a light and then give them a loop. And they'd have to look through the <laughs> tiny little loop. A little magnifying glass. Yeah, and yeah. be like, I think my eyes are open, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're open. You look, you look great, you know. Then you'd sell them and then you'd mail them the pictures later. You'd mail them. Yeah. And how would they pay you? Cash or check or... That's even... Check sometimes. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, check or I used credit to get card. Paid by I mean, we were at the resort, the so they could do check credit cards too. I, I used to get paid um, traveler's checks all the time. No, it was awesome. Travel check. Yeah, I guess you can just deposit those. I've no, never gotten like paid cash. anything with a They're a just like cash, check. and if you lost them, you could go get more. It was a great concept, and people used to bring them all the time. And I remember you would take somebody fishing in those early days, and they would be like, okay, come on over here, and the trip's, you know, $600, and they're going to pay you in 20s in traveler's <laughs> checks, and they've got to sign every one twice. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a half hour. Yeah. And so you'd be sitting there. Like, you just get started. I'll be loading the boat up. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't like that because, because you're so, I was such a young guy and so inexperienced and everything that you just sit there and try to make small talk, but you've been talking to this person for nine hours. <sighs> yeah. There's not a lot left to say other talk. than, yep. man, it's a really nice signature that you just did there <laughs> and there and there. And and there. there. <laughs> but then you would come home with this wad of traveler's, of traveler's checks. checks. And then it's like, what do I do with these? I mean, I didn't even know what they were, but that that's a funny time. Things have changed so much. I mean, really, when I hear you start talking about photography and even learning photography, and I was having this, this discussion the other day about learning photography in those days 
versus learning photography today. I mean, it's a whole completely different animal. It's crazy. I mean, when you went to school in Massachusetts to learn photography. Yep. Black and white only. Black and white only. And what what's the process? I mean, back then, was, I barely remember, but I remember the darkroom. Yeah. But I mean, we would shoot, I mean, I was shooting 35 millimeter film, print film, black and white. Probably, I think, a Pentax K1000. Yeah. But, and like, I remember just trying to learn how to, to take pictures and do it consistently well. And you're reading, I'm reading all these books and I'm talking the aperture and the exposure and all this different stuff. Grayscale. And so you start trying these different settings, which now, if you tried a different filter on your, on your, on your picture, you see it instantly. Yeah. It's right there. I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I yeah. don't like that one. Ooh, that one makes it me. No, back then you'd have to like, if you really wanted to learn, you'd have to shoot a roll and every picture you took, you'd have to write down your settings mm -hmm. so that when you had it in the dark room and you developed it, you'd be like, oh, okay, this is what I did on this one. Right. This is what I did on this one. And you got a little journal and you know each frame. And, I'm, and I was never good at that. Yeah. I couldn't. So I, I tried that a couple of times, I think, and then I just kind of switched over and figured it out. You know, you could see the difference and part, figure it out from there. Part of what was interesting about being a photographer then is not only did you have to have the eye and take the picture and do the settings on the camera correctly, but then you were also, a lot of times, you were also the developer of your own photos. And so you could go and you could, you could, play with how long it stayed in the chemical and yeah. all the different, I mean, I only know just a, just a very, I mean, yeah. I only have done a small amount of developing black and white film, but there was artistry in developing as well as there was artistry in taking the picture. Yes. And there was, yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of artistry in developing, but then there was artistry in printing is where more artistry came in. And that was kind of interesting, but I don't know. It was kind of too slow for me. Do you think that's gone now? No, it's just different. So where does... I think it's, it's all in Photoshop. You know, the artistry. Well, I mean, there's artistry in taking the photos, obviously. But if you're talking about the artistry and the developing and the darkroom side, it's all switched over to Photoshop. And a lot, I don't think a lot of people get that. You know, they think Photoshopping means making somebody skinny or, you know, right. get, getting rid of zits. But, you know, to me, it's, you know, 60 percent plus of what I do every day, you know, is, is a Photoshop is a Photoshop and it's, you know, not necessarily changing stuff. It's just making a picture the way you wanted it to look in the first place. Or, right. I mean, when I talk to you about that, if I, if I see a picture that I like that you've just taken, you're like, man, that's straight out of the camera. You don't even want to give it to me. I'm like, it looks awesome, yeah, man. Yeah. It's great. No, yeah. no, that's not finished. Like I pushed the button. I took the picture, yeah. but that's not it. Like no, that's, we haven't yeah. even, no, you're not even halfway done. No, you know, once you get good enough at Photoshop, you're shooting a particular way so that you have the most information to edit with later. So, mm. yeah, I've seen you do that a lot. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing how, how you can take a picture that looks pretty bland, honestly. And yeah. I mean, because not necessarily bland because you chose it that way, but bland because maybe the day wasn't yeah. ideal. Or you even know, even if it looks awesome outside, you know, when you shoot raw, 
it's going to look bland. And that's the whole concept of it is for it to look bland so that you have room to edit it. Yeah. Yeah. Then where I see the artistry and there's, there's several different types of artistry. And I think that's, what's interesting about photography today is that you have photographers like yourself. I think you do an incredible job of, of taking the picture and editing it to look kind of like what your eye saw. Like when I go out there, I'm like, man, the sky was so blue and it was perfect and it was awesome. And this, the sailfish comes out of the water and it's lit up and I'm seeing all these colors and everything. And then I look at your pictures and it's like dead on. That's, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. And, and also that's what I saw through my polarized lenses that I'm, that I'm yeah. always wearing. Right. But then there's another type of photography that you see these days, these ultra edited photos, which is a whole different beast. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's the one guy that just bumps up the H the the yeah. HDR a ton and gets this weird look. But then there's this whole other thing that they make it look like a painting, or they make it just. It, and honestly, those guys work really, really hard at it. I follow this yeah. one guy on Instagram, and his photos are they're amazing. I mean, because they just that's not what he took a picture of. Yeah. But he's making he's art using it as the, the base Photoshop. for your artwork. Right. And, and there's a real fine line to, it's like, I guess it's like a, a woman wearing too much makeup or doing it just perfect yeah. or not wearing any at all. Yeah. Like some girls can not wear any makeup at all. And some girls put on just a tiny bit and they look like they're, they're, you know, dressed to the nines. And then other people go way too far and it's like Halloween costume, yeah. right? Well, that's what, that's what I see with the, with the photos. I think that there are people that are obviously pretty good photographers and they're not that good editors. And then there yep. are guys that are really good editors, maybe not that good a photographer. And then there's the guy like, like yourself, I think that, that has a real, real nice balance between having the artistry and, and selecting and composing the shot, like old school. Like that's what they taught you yeah, yeah. early. Like photography yeah, is about a, yeah. composing that's the shot. Art school does right. that. Where you, it's, you might not be thinking about it, but it's still always in there somewhere. Yeah. And so you're thinking about, but you're also thinking about other things. You're thinking about, okay, if this is going to be a cover shot, I got to leave plenty of room at the top. Yeah, and if this go, is going to be go a, vertical, got to do, you know. Right. Yeah. All that stuff. And it all happens, you know, super fast uh, in the case of a jumping tarpon or, yeah, you, don't really you know, have a choice. something Sometimes, even yeah. faster, like what, a, a, a jumping mackerel or something like that, that, that can happen so fast like the tarpon kind of gives yeah. you a little bit of a, a mackerel you're kind of pointing at oh. something waiting for it to happen yeah then... yeah so okay i want to go back to this story because we 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 got you right up to where you're developing color film of of rafters oh you gotta pee okay go do it so i'll just be here yeah well jason had to pee I will attempt to do this all by myself for a little bit, but um, I like the conversation that we're having because that's what originally drew me to Jason. I found I was looking for someone who could take some pictures and I looked all over the internet and I actually think I found Jason's website and I saw a few pictures that I liked and what I liked about his pictures was that he was really capturing the the lifestyle of, of what we do rather than just a grip and grin kind of shot where people are holding 
fish up. He was getting he was getting these these shots that were um, really candid. People weren't looking at the at the camera, and the color was you know really amazing. And so I did a little more research, and and uh, eventually we ended up working together. Feeling better? Good, good. Um, so now you're you've turned into a fly fisherman, and you're you're actually taking pictures on the water. Working you, on the river. Is your house built at this point? My house was sort You're of sleeping on the floor. So, sort of built. Do you have a yeah. bed? <laughs> I have a bed. Does your dog have a bed? Uh, I don't remember. She liked the snow. Oh. Let her outside Ooh. in the morning. It was 30 below and she would roll in the snow. Oh. But uh, we had a lot of plywood still exposed and it wasn't all that done. But yeah, it was. So, uh, so how do you. How I, do you, I was living. How do you move into this more of a fishy lifestyle? So said working on the river. So I figured out, you know, that I could. So we had two raft trips a day, a nine o'clock and a one o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I could shoot the nine o'clock, get that all done, sell the pictures, done by about 11. Yeah. So now it's 11 and I don't have to shoot anything till probably 145 because they got it. Their one o'clock trip has to make their way up the river to get everything ready. So now I got like two hours right when the best hatches are in the West. Yes. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but in the West where it's cold, all the hatches come later in the day once the water warms up, at least where we were. I don't know if it was the same up in uh, Montana, but most of our Mayfly hatches were, you know, kind of 1130 noon to two. Yeah. And uh, so I could go catch the hatch then take my pictures and, Sell the afternoon stuff. And at this point, are you trying to take any fishing pictures? Are you even interested in that? Yeah, a little bit, but I kind of went through a stint here and there. I tried to get into the skiing photography business and never really, I did some stuff, but it never really took off. And uh, same thing with the fishing. I would shoot some, but I was kind of, I was almost too addicted to the fishing. Yeah. It was hard to do, Mm -hmm. you know? It was like, I get the camera out, but uh, they're biting. You know? Yeah. Well, that, that happens as a fishing guide, too. I mean, some people can't make it as a fishing guide because all they want to do is fish. Yeah. And I mean, I went through all that, too. So I was working on the river there around the fishing guides, around the raft guides. And I kind of decided that the photography thing, I still was a photographer and wanted to be a photographer eventually. Maybe I don't, didn't really know, but I was like, I should be a fishing guide. So I kind of worked my way into that over a couple seasons. Mm-hmm. And so when you, like so many people ask me, I mean, it's definitely the most asked question. Oh, you fish for a living. How do you, how do you do that? And, and so I'm always interested in knowing like what that looks like. And I, I think I kind of know in your case, but, but not really. Like we've never really talked about that. Like how do you get started from, from zero? Like you're, you're, a, you're a raft photographer. How do you get to be a fishing guide? I mean, it didn't, it didn't happen fast because I didn't, I've never been one to jump in before I thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I need to be better than, every, I need to be a better fisherman than every fishing guide I know here. Mm-hmm. So I worked my ass off at it, not at guiding, but just at fishing. And I would fish every day, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Eventually I was like, I'm 
better than most of these guys. So, but, but, but what's happening though this. is that you're fishing every day because you've set up your life in a way that allows for that. Right. Right. Like it's one thing to want to be a fishing guide and work nine to five. Yeah. And you're trying to get in a little bit of fishing no, before nine and you're trying to get in that last little bit of light in the afternoon. You can't do it if you're going to be good. Right. You know? And that's, that's, it's, you have to be it's out like there reps. every day and learn what's happening. Yeah. It's like reps on a football field or, or, yeah. or to be a, be an athlete. Yeah. It's like if, if you are hitting 10 hatches a week and when we say hitting 10 hatches a week, there's these crazy, when the water temperature gets just right and during, you know, and it can happen every single day at about the same time, but you have this aquatic life that lives in these rivers and, and, uh, these mayflies will live underneath the water for over or a year and then hatch out at when the water's perfect temperature and everything's just right in the right season and everything like that. They'll swim to the surface, break out of their nymphal shuck and fly away as a, as a winged insect right. only to die a day later. So they've been alive for a year and then they lay eggs on the water and, uh, and the life cycle begins again. And well, in every stage of that one, as soon as they come out of those rocks, the trout are food. on them. Right, you know, so knowing all about that is how you know when, when and where to feed the trout. That's exactly right. So you um, are getting incredibly valuable experience while you're not a fishing guide, but you're right. fishing more than all of these fishing guides, and that's how you end up becoming yeah. better because you are actually personally fishing in in probably two weeks more than a working fishing guide yeah. is actually has yeah. has the rod in his hand the entire summer yeah absolutely because that's what happens you become well, a yeah. working and fishing guy and you don't i probably fish. would have stayed at what i was doing and right I <laughs> <laughs> and i could have fished a whole lot more but but yeah i, I wanted to be a fishing guy and i was just like well, i'm gonna do it and i talked to the owner of the resort there and i was like this is what i'm gonna do and he was like okay so basically i and I didn't want to be a walk wade guy. Well, that's what I was going to ask. What is the what does that scene look like? Because I'm not familiar with that part of the the of Colorado that much in in the fishing because I never got down there in the summertime. Yeah. I was too busy doing what I was doing. But um, it you know you'll have these different places where it's predominantly drift boats, or you'll have other places where it's predominantly rafts, like rocky yeah. rivers, yeah. very very white watery. You'll have other areas where. It's predominantly spring creeks and everybody's a walk guy. And then yeah. you have other places where you can do a little bit of all of them. What did, what did Colorado look like? Um, where, where we were working was, uh, it had a number of rivers. The main river is the Gunnison River, which mm -hmm. is probably what you would have considered a more whitewatery. Not, yeah. not big whitewater. It's class one, maybe a yeah. little couple of class two a, sections. A, a giant canyon. We just had Frank Smethers on the podcast no, the other day. That's uh that's the Black Canyon, the the Black Canyon but that's of not what we did. Okay. That was sixty miles away. Okay. So this is the upper Gunnison. Okay. So it's a rocky river, shallow, rocky river, but not at that point, not great for the drift boats that there were then. Mm -hmm. Um so it was mostly rafts. Okay. Um, but there weren't a whole lot of people floating. There was maybe 10 guides at that time that actually floated hmm. and three or four of them worked at our resort. Okay. And 10 might be a stretch. So, you know, do you know how to row a boat? At that point, not really. Yeah. So, so I took, well, so, so we had, so it was a rafting company. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm going to be 
a float guide. So first, I'm going to take the raft course and become a raft guide. So I did that. Then I was a whitewater rafter. So I was taking people down the you river don't whitewater really rafting. Seem like the whitewater rafter. I wasn't, but it was a <laughs> means to an end. Yeah. But I was pretty good at it. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it all that much, but it was fine. It was fine in the back of the boat yelling at people. You know, tell them yeah. what to do. And you learned a lot about the water doing that. You sure. definitely, you you definitely know? would. And I kayaked a little bit and I learned even more about the water doing that. Yeah. How I don't like to have my head under it so much. But uh, then I worked my way up and the owner had had a, uh, a uh, 14 foot air ocelot cataract that had been sitting on the lot for a while. Okay. So I was still a raft guide and I was like, I want to buy that raft. I was like, here's my plan and gave him a plan of how I was going to pay for it. You know, I was like, gave him $500 and I was like a hundred bucks a month or something like that till it was paid off. It was like $2,000 or something. Yeah. So he was like, okay. And he saw that I wanted to be a guide and did that. And then by the next season, I was number four or five on the Do you remember fly fishing guide list. Do you remember your first guided trip? No, I don't. I you was, don't? I don't actually. I can remember my first guided trip like it was yesterday. I mean, I'd done a lot of rafting trips, and so then I'd done, and then yeah. I went into, I did a bunch of walk wades that first summer before I had the boat, and then I became the See, float guy, but I don't, I, I had, don't actually remember. I had, and I went in so cold and so green and so ridiculously unprepared. I mean, looking in hindsight, I guess my boss thought that I was prepared, but I remember I had just gotten in trouble. Uh, because I wasn't dressed like a cowboy and I wore, you know, I mean, this is Jackson, Wyoming. You got to dress like a cowboy. I mean, they expect a cowboy. You're going to show them a cowboy. And so I didn't have any cowboy clothes. So I wore khaki pants and I, I, it was, I mean, (laughs) looking at it, like you would go to the, the shop. And at the time it was the Orvis shop that we worked out of and you would be there early, earlier than your clients. Well, I like to be there early, early. So I got there really early. And like when the doors <laughs> that are that open. shocks me. Yeah. Well, and it's my first trip. So I'm nervous. I'm so nervous. First of all, I don't, they don't even tell me, Joe doesn't even tell me where I'm going. He's like, I'll tell you in the morning. We'll figure it out in the morning. So I'm just so nervous because I had just gotten there. I didn't know anything, nothing. Not only did I not know anything, I didn't know the geography, right? So I knew the South Fork, you had to go over a big mountain to get there. I knew, <laughs> I knew if you were going to go to the, to the park, you went to the north. You had to look at your map and to then figure I out where knew, you were going to fish well, that day. Yeah, well, listen, man. Then I knew that if you were going to go to the Green River and the Salt River, you both, you went, you went south, right? Right out of Jackson. And you got to Hoback Junction. This is a problem. This is where the problem lies. <laughs> right or left? I don't you know. went left to go to the Green River. You went right to go to the Salt River. Okay, so. I'm going, I show up really early to my, God, I hadn't thought about this. This is for a walkway trip or? This is for a boat trip. Oh my Lord. Okay. I haven't thought about this. To a piece of water you've never floated before? No, I've floated it once. (laughs) Floated it once, but I've been on this river. So anyway, I'll tell you how it goes out. I show up really early and I'm wearing khaki pants. And when I get nervous, I often have to pee, which shouldn't surprise you much because I probably pee more than anybody you've ever met in your life. And that's fine because I probably do drink a lot of water. And if I get nervous, it accentuates the problem badly. So I go to the bathroom once 
And then I walk out and I'm like, huh, the uh, customers aren't here yet. So I'm walking around, I'm looking at the flies, I'm walking around, I'm talking, I'm asking Joe, do you know where I'm going yet? No, 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 we don't know yet. So then I have to go to the bathroom again. So I go in the bathroom and I go to the bathroom and I wa- try to wash my hands. But when I turn on the faucet, it comes on like a fire hose <laughs> <laughs> and it shoots up out of the, out of the sink and goes all over my khaki pants. And it looks like I peed in my pants. I mean, all the way down. I mean, it happened so fast and so furiously that it went all the way down to my knee. So now it looks like I peed in my pants. So now I'm super nervous. I'm trying to dry all that off and I, I don't do a very good job. And I hear, Dom, get out here. Your clients are here. And I was like, oh God, you know, this is just the worst nightmare. So I walk out there and luckily the two guys had just rolled in from the bar, just rolled in and uh, all night, like it's eight o'clock in the morning. They look horrible. And he says, this is Tommy. He's your guy and he'll, he'll treat you right. He's like, get him a box of flies. We'll meet you at the, at the cash register. So I'm like, Joe, you still had not told me where I'm going. He's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. You can go to the salt. Uncle Lester will be down there. Oh, you've never floated this section before, but what you're going to do is you're going to, and he starts giving me these directions and he's like, now you're going to put in and it's just going to look like this tiny little thing. And you've got to, you've got to row on out there for quite a while before you get to the river. And I'm like, man, Joe, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. I'm really scared. And, um, so anyway, we, we leave the shop and it's about a 20 minute drive down to Hoback Junction. And I see Hoback Junction approaching and I'm like, oh no, oh no. Green, right, salt, left. No, salt, left, right. <laughs> oh no, what's going on? I'm going as slow as I possibly can. And I get to Hoback Junction and I'm like, I think the salt is to the right. I just think it's to the right. I think, I think it's to the right. And there's no cell phones. We don't have GPS, nothing like that. I don't have a map. I've been here once in my life. And so I just hit the, hit the, the right way. And I end up going down, we go down the, we go down the Snake River Canyon and then, um, we end up at the salt and somehow I find the put in and I row out this little tiny thing. And I, I'm, I'm just a hundred percent sure that I'm in the wrong place and I'm in an (laughs) irrigation ditch and I'm never going to see the river. And it's going to be the most embarrassing thing. But the best part was my customers were so hungover that they didn't see me going back and forth in my mind and sweating profusely on the way down because they were both passed out in the car. So I make it all the way down there. I get in the, I get in the, um, I get in the, the boat, we row them out and we actually caught something. Yeah. We actually caught a couple of fish and the guy caught a, actually caught a really nice rainbow. I still have a picture of it. And, uh, I look at that picture all the time because the guy is, he is super hungover <laughs> and his eyes are all blurry and he's, his hair's all messed up. And I remember he just, he was, he was like, I'm going to get some sun. And he takes his shirt off. Then he gets super sunburned and I am just sweating this whole thing. And all I can think about is trying to find the takeout. And luckily I saw, um, the shuttle driver's car and I pulled over and sure enough, found the takeout. And I got him there about two hours early. 
and because I had no idea how to manage the river or anything. Yeah. I'm just like, man, I'm, I just well, hope you know, I'm yeah, in you the could river. Be, could be I could be in the wrong river. From the, yeah. And uh, it ended up turning out pretty good. And the guy gave me a tip. And, you know, that was that was it. That was my first guide trip. But it get that first started one out, out of the way. so badly. I mean, getting water all over my khaki <laughs> pants was That's truly awesome. one of the most embarrassing things. But nobody noticed except my boss that gave me a, a, a lot of trouble about it later. But um, the the customers never noticed. They just never even noticed. But I remember that guided trip. I remember that That's trip. Awesome. I remember my first saltwater trip like it was yesterday, too. I remember a bunch, but I don't remember the first. Yeah. So so you start was, guiding. And how long do you do that? Floated the Gunnison for five years. And you're still staying out there in the winter? Yep. Yeah. I, but, you know, as the years went on, I started skiing a little bit less, fishing more. Getting antsy here. When did you spring. meet your and, wife? Well, so that was the, uh, this I guess the second year at the raft place, the second summer, she was from Atlanta, and a friend of the uh, the people that owned the photo concessions, um, were originally from Sea Island, Georgia, mm-hmm. um, and a good friend of their family uh, was a friend of ours, Holly Hicks, and. Uh, she lived with my wife before she was my wife in Atlanta. And uh, she had been coming out to Crested Butte for her whole life, hmm. um, visiting. And her family were good friends with uh, President Jimmy Carter, who came out and fished there a lot. And yeah. So they were out there a bunch. So Holly was coming out for the summer. And Joanne was working a marketing job in Atlanta. And Holly was like, eh, come out, come out with me check it out and this was i think spring break before the summer mm-hmm. and uh she went and checked it out went back to atlanta and was like god this city is horrible and no offense atlanta people but uh, <laughs> and uh she was like i'll go out there for the summer that sounds like fun and then i'll go back to working a real job in a city somewhere yeah and uh she came out for the summer and it ended up um holly had gotten her a job at the photo concessions to work there for the summer and uh i was in my second Maybe third year there, I don't remember, but uh, was working there, and that's how I met her. Hmm. And then, how long have y'all been together? Um, well, that was ninety-five. Ninety-five. You're not good with math, are you? That's not a lot years. Of, that's a lot years of years. <laughs> so, and you got two we little were, girls. Yep, we have two daughters. We so we were together for seven years or so in Colorado, and then we moved to Charleston and uh, got married. And what took you to Charleston? Girls. We wanted to, we were done being cold. Yeah. Wanted to move somewhere warm and uh, her family is from North Carolina. At that point, my sister lived in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. We knew we wanted to move somewhere warmer, closer to family, and I wanted to be somewhere I could fish. Yeah. So we did a road trip and left. I finished up uh, the last day of the ski season bartending in April and we drove straight through the night after that straight to New Orleans, hung out there for a couple of days, and then drove the whole coast from New Orleans to Key West to Wilmington, North Carolina, just checking out different towns all the way around, looking for a place to live, and decided on Charleston. Both of you together? Yep. Yep. Just like a month-long road trip, That's trying to cool. figure out where we were going to live. That's cool. No jobs, no So you nothing, settle just, in in Charleston, and, yeah. and, and what, I mean, you're starting fresh? Started completely fresh, no jobs, 
little bit of cash because we'd sold the house I'd built. Yeah. Weren't sure what we're going to do. I knew I could get a job bartending because I'd been bartending out there for uh, six or seven years at this Mm -hmm. point and uh, had photo in the back pocket. And also I was thinking I was going to be a saltwater fishing guide. So Out of Charleston. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she was looking for a marketing job. I was looking for a bartending job and trying to figure out what was next. And what, what happened? What what was next? Well, so I mean, was, I mean, really, off. fast forward to to today. Like, I mean, you go to iCast, you get on Instagram, you go anywhere. I mean, you are the preeminent photographer, I think, in what you're doing, saltwater fishing and 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 some freshwater fishing, but for the most part, saltwater. And uh, so, how does that happen? Well, a lot of it's because of you. Most of it's because you well, saw, so, I, I mean, mean, I mean, really, I, you know, I started, I got a job bartending. My wife was working marketing and I figured out pretty quickly that saltwater fishing is hard. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th- I was, a, is. I was a fly fisherman. It took me a while to learn that you can't just move to the saltwater and be a fly fisherman. Mm. You have to have a well, better, more well-rounded game. Well, you let's say if you, want if to ever you are catch a, a fish. if you are a an angler, you can easily go from being a trout angler to booking a good guide in salt water and having some success. Right. But if you want to do it yourself and you want to yes. really kind of consistently be able to find fish, it takes way more. Yes. And I'm a pretty big do it yourselfer. I'd like to have a guide every now and then, but I like to do it myself and I like to figure things out. And I wasn't figuring it out. Yeah. You know, well, I, I caught some fish here and there, but I, I, it's, it's I think hard that there, I think there, there would be think, much easier places to figure out. I mean, I'm no Charleston expert, but I've fished there a dozen times or more. Compare not, that to dropping in Venice, Louisiana, right? Well, I mean, yeah. You go you to Venice, Louisiana, Venice, Louisiana, <laughs> and you're going to probably figure it out, right? I yeah. Mean, drop into the Keys, drop into. But even the keys uh, that you Myers. drop into the keys with the fly rod, I mean, it's no joke down there. You know, well, I mean, you trying can to find fish. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, can there find, they are. I can find fish in Charleston. Can't You, you could, like, well, right away? Well, I, I didn't, I I didn't have a boat right fish. away. Yeah. Once I had a boat and I had friends, I mean, I mean now, now, yesterday, I went out and found a lot of fish. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I, I didn't catch, I didn't catch any. I mean, now. now but I still don't different. catch. It's a whole different. Well, you, you got to be in a I different know, but, mindset. But there's a there's a big difference between kind of having a having a, a a group of friends that are all fishermen yeah. and that are uh, you're sharing a little bit of information. You've got it figured out now. That's a whole Absolutely. lot different than than showing up in a place that you've yeah. never been before and getting it wired enough to find fish every day. Right. That's hard. I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think it takes a tremendous amount of uh, dedication. And determination because, man, it's easy to, I mean, I think about moving to the Keys when I did that and and spent a year on the water. I don't know that I could do that again. Right. I mean, talk well, about I mean, dejection. Financially for one thing. Right. Well, and then, yeah. And just getting beat up. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I learned in Charleston. I got there and I thought, oh, man, I'm badass. I can catch fish anywhere. You know, as long I've as, been as long as they eat mayflies and yeah, you know, I mean, river. I've been running. You know, <laughs> I've been running five, six years of float trips, and I'd never had a skunk on my boat. And I was like, 
I'm pretty damn good at this. Yeah. I get out there and I just got worked. Yeah. But I quickly learned that I don't think I'm going to be a saltwater fly fishing guide. That's not my path, mm-hmm. you know? So I was bartending and uh, my wife got a job working at Kiwa, which is a resort island. Yeah. You know, she was in the marketing department. And a few years in, um, her boss was like, isn't your husband a photographer? And uh, so she ended up offering me a job working for their working for their marketing department because she'd seen a bunch of my wildlife, nature photography, and figured I could learn other stuff. Yeah. So I started working there like a real job. And it was my first, pretty much my first real job. Yeah. Year round. Nine to five. Yeah, nine to five, yeah. you know, or sunset to five, right. whatever, or right. sunrise to five. So I started working there and that was shooting every day, you know, real job. And that what was the first shooting? time. Houses and, 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 and vacation so, rentals and I mean, stuff yeah, like that? So, well, I mean, there was, so the real job was they had a real estate company uh-huh. and they had golf courses uh-huh. and it was a beach resort. Okay. So the real job is providing the marketing department with, first off, the real money part of it was all their real estate listings. So you shoot their houses, the views, and these are little villas up to $10 million beach homes. Mm -hmm. So um, that was the real part of it. Then you shoot stuff for the golf courses. Then you have to shoot um, events at the golf courses and stuff, which was, that was horrible for me. That was like going back to the ski resort. But then in the meantime, she was like, this resort is known for its nature, its wildlife. So you just go do your thing all the time. So we have that stuff. So I was just out every morning at sunrise shooting wildlife, nature, on the beach, in the marsh. Mm -hmm. And that was really where I figured it out. I would be out there and I'd take my canoe out and go out in the marsh and there's tail and redfish. So I started shooting tail and redfish like they were birds. Yeah. You know, just shooting them like it's wildlife. And uh, that was kind of when I first figured out something. I was like, well, this is kind of maybe how I can get into shooting stuff for fishing. Yeah. And uh, I just shot a ton of that. And then I kind of threw in some fishing too. But I didn't have a whole bunch of fishing friends. So it wasn't like I was shooting many people fishing. Right. It was mostly just me. And are you? is around. there a market for any of this fishing photography at that time? Not a whole lot that I could find. Yeah. But I did end up... I think kind of the first things I did with it was I got in touch with some magazines. And uh, at that point, the only way I could figure out to sell them anything was to sell them a whole article. Hmm. So I had to write some articles, you know, about fly fishing in Charleston. At that point, I kind of knew some stuff, enough that I could BS my way through it. Yeah. Here's how you catch fish on fly here. You know. (laughs) But you're getting published. I got, I got published a couple of times and I was writing and shooting and it's uh, kind of where it started, I guess. Right. You know. And then and then now you're shooting for, for all kinds of, I mean, you yep. shoot for all our stuff. Yeah. And I mean, so I did that and I had a website for all my stuff and then you called me one day out of the blue. And that's well, that's what, I, that's what I found was your website. That's what yeah. I was saying when you were peeing. Because um, I was trying to think, was it Instagram? It wasn't Instagram. Oh, I know you, it wasn't Because you made me get on Instagram. I know. I was like, Jason, you don't do it Instagram? It might have been Facebook, though. I was on Facebook. Yeah, I think it was your website. It might have just been the website. But I was surprised. I was really surprised that you weren't embracing the Instagram. I'm like, dude, this is your thing. Like, this is your place. Yeah, you at that point, crush it here. At that point, I was just like, Instagram is, it's a place for people that aren't photographers to 
pretend like they're photographers. Well, it is definitely or that. Touch photographers' pictures, but it's also but, it's also you know. a place for people that appreciate photography to go and yeah. and and find new new photographers. Well, it's funny because I had been on places like that on websites just when I was working at Kiowa. And, you know, just for inspiration, there was a lot of places online at that point. I think that was before even Instagram um, where you could just go and just kind of peruse through, right. you know, hundreds of thousands yeah. of pictures. And I needed that at times, you know, when you're like, how do I shoot another house and make it look something or, yes, you know, another beach sunrise and make it look different. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of go through for inspiration. And, and now that's kind of what I do with Instagram now, you know? Yeah. And you can follow all kinds of of interesting photographers and you yeah. can follow the people that like we were talking about that do the do the wild editing and you can do yep. the you can find people that shoot nothing but black and white and you can find people that are shooting nothing but video and find all of this different stuff. But I don't know. What do you what do you think is is the future of photography? Because there for a little while I thought photography was dying. No, I had a lot of people, you know, because I over the five or six years I've been working with you, there's I don't work with any photographers, but I work with a lot of videographers. Right. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, you're on a boat with a bunch of dudes all day. You (laughs) you give each other crap, you know? So I like to give videographers crap about video. Uh And they like to give me crap about, you know, photography being dead. It's all about video. And if you go online, everything's video, video, video now. And I'm like, I don't think so. I think photography is fine. It's going to stick around. I know this that um, photography is not dead. And, but there were those times, like when you first started working with us, we didn't know what we were doing with the photos and Instagram was certainly not what it is today. Yeah. And, and we just had no idea. I just knew that photos were important and we needed them. And the more we could have, the better. Had no idea what we we're going to do with them. None, really. And I think that there was a serious dip in photography and everything there was, was a, moving. Well, to it was kind of when, yeah, when, especially when, when the, they started figuring out how to put video online and on social media all the time, everybody was like, okay, we don't need photo anymore. Right. It's all going to be but moving. Don't you also think that when, when the DSLR camera started shooting high quality video, now people are buying those same cameras mm-hmm. that you're buying to shoot only video. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, I saw that happen and I was like, what? I've like, never even switched mine on to the video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's like, does that shoot good video? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. That's what I ask you about your GoPros, too. Yeah, I don't know. Give, give no me. one's going to shoot video with this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, the video guys are always like, oh, can you use your GoPro and take some videos? Like, I, I wouldn't know how. Yeah. Well, you think that you you think that the photography um, is, is healthy and growing? Yeah. Well, I do. I mean, I think photography is going to be just fine. It's going to be around. It's not going anywhere. And if more photographers want to switch over to video, that's fine. I'll pick up the slack. Yeah. Well, you know? I, I think know. I think it's increasing in in uh, maybe not popularity, but in in importance. I think that that photography, high quality photography. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of high quality photography. I I like it. I think that it speaks volumes when you see it. It tells a story about the organization or it tells a story about something that you don't necessarily get all the time with video. Now, I like video too, but I find that it's, that it's really super important and, uh, to have the, the images also. Yeah, I think in some way photography 
kind of sits with you a little longer and you got to think about it and stuff and video. And maybe I'm more thinking about how it all is on the internet, but you know, video you look at, you watch it and then it's kind of over and you move on where a photo kind of sits with you a little longer. I think it does. I think it's, it stirs your imagination more when you see that photo. I always wonder how they got that photo. You know, the, the incredibly close, the incredibly close red fish tailing or something like that. I, 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 can, just I can tell you that. Yeah, I know. It's his trick. Why don't you tell me? How do you do it? Well, I think for a long time, every red fish tailing shot you ever saw, you can tell it's with a wide angle and it's with somebody holding the redfish by the face with uh, one hand uh, and holding it underwater so the uh, tail sticks up and shoots it. So right. if you can see the background spread out and it's kind of clear, you can make out stuff in the background. That's somebody holding a redfish tail up in the air. Hmm. Where if you see it and it's shot with a long lens, everything else is blurred out except the tail is clear. Hmm. You know, and I don't think, you know, 10 years ago, not a lot of people shot anything except for the fake ones. Yeah. I had an experience with David McLeaf one time, uh, who is also one of my favorite photographers. Yeah, mine too. He gets some crazy, the, he's, the tails they get David, there where David, he lives. David's so good. Crazy. And yes, that's what, that's the, that's the situation. Um, so we go out and it's, it's the, the sunset in that tailing situation. Yeah. And I'm used to flamingo redfish. Like they freak out when you go close yeah. to them or maybe they just sit there motionless and if their tail goes away then you can't find them again right but these are just tailing like crazy and so david is like hey um you stay right here and i am going to slowly go all the way around this school mm. and i believe that he said he had never done it successfully before <laughs> but we were we had already gotten some good pictures and he's like the light's going to be perfect it's going to be great Let's try this. I'm like, whatever, man. I don't need to catch a redfish. Yeah. And I watched him walk all the way around that school so slowly, like a ninja. <laughs> yeah. And then here's the school between me and David. And he just got some amazing yeah, shots. He's got so many actually. of those. It's crazy. Yeah. No, he's got it worked out now. Yeah. At the time, the it was like, I don't know if we're going to yep. be able to do this or not. Yeah. He, I couldn't figure out how he was doing that. I also still can't figure out how Jason Arnold is taking the underwater pictures of the fish um chasing after the jigs and stuff yeah like that. there's something there i think they're, yeah they're, i think the fisher the fisher chum i think so you could chum them all you want i mean you chum all a, you want, and then you gotta sit you gotta i mean have the skills that he has to be in the water motionless and i don't know how he does it you know, i'm gonna have to ask him he to told me he told me there's a trick and he he would tell me yeah i, I saw don't know that, if he's I gonna tell everybody yeah but, i don't know if he's gonna tell it on the air yeah he might not um all right man well three three things that you would do differently. You told your whole story and you have actually made it. And in some ways you made it in a roundabout way. And in other ways it's fairly direct. Like you decided you're going to do this and might've taken a little while, but you actually accomplished those things. And in a roundabout way, you kind of bounce around a lot of different things and find, find what, what I see is, is truly your, uh, your calling is is the type of work that you're doing now i mean it's it's exceptional and it's it's really incredible so three things that you would do differently three things huh? yeah somebody walks up to you and says man i want to do just what you're doing you say don't do this or this or this or do this i don't know what are the three most valuable things that you could tell somebody right now i don't know that's hard because they all kind of lead you to where you are i mean in my in my 
fishing world, you know, I always thought I wanted to be a fly fisherman. And I think I would always try when I was out in Colorado before I met uh, the sheetrocker taught me how to do it. I would always go with a spinning rod and a fly rod and I'd fly fish for five minutes. Mm. Didn't work. Yeah. Grab the spinning rod. So I would probably not bring that spinning rod. Okay. Um, another thing. Learn how to throw a cast net? I don't know. I, I do need to learn how to throw a cast net. <laughs> I'm horrible. But I get it done. Yeah. Sort of. What about on the photography side? What if you were going to tell somebody right now they want to be a great photographer? What do they, what do they have well, to do? Well, I think you got to learn the basics. You know, doing a class, you know. I mean, I went to school for a long time, but I almost learned as much as I could when I got a real job and had to figure stuff out. and was like, okay, I need to go on. I mean, now you can just YouTube anything. Back when I did it, we had to pay for some class. There was online classes you could take. And right. I learned so much doing Photoshop classes like that. And I actually went to, you know, Photoshop seminars where you go do three days of isn't intense that, stuff. Where Isn't that because also that Photoshop didn't exist when you were taking these classes in college? Yeah, no, there was no computer. None right. of it was computers. So, so I mean, you, but, you so I learned the base there. You're, yes. Yeah, you're learning yeah, to your do base. it in school. Correct. Yeah. And then, and then now this is a whole new world. Yes. You got to learn all this stuff. Well, and I think a lot of kids are probably learning a lot of Photoshop in school, which is great. But I think learning it from people who do it for a living in the real world is probably a lot better for you. Yeah. You know, and I think one thing that'll teach you how to do something better than anything is getting in over your head at a job where people are paying you to do something and going, okay, if I want to keep doing this, I better figure it out or I'm not going to be getting a paycheck next week. Right. You know, and that's, that's happened to me a few times, you know, even, even working with you when I was like, okay, let's figure out how to shoot out of a drone. You know, let's right. fly a drone and do that. Because if I'm not doing it, somebody else is going to be doing it. That's right. But you've gotten really good at it. So that's where you have actually gone into the video world a little bit. A little bit. Drone. Well, I bought it for photos. But, <laughs> but we don't let you shoot that. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Something uh, to figure out is how to getting, switch it back and forth getting in, Getting in over your head. So, I don't know. Pretty remarkable story, man. You went from homeless to uh, pretty much... Um, Right at the top of the world. Yeah. Um, it's been good. Yeah. Well. Can't really call it. I'll call it camping. Camping. Glamping. <laughs> glamping. It wasn't very glamorous. <laughs> All right, Jason. We're going to cut this off right now, but I'm sure that you will join us again and, uh, and tell us some more of your stories. Because you're my, Jason's always my roommate on, on our shoots because he doesn't bother me. And I don't, he doesn't tell me that I bother him. Um, well, you go to sleep at like seven, so yeah. you don't bother me See? for the rest of that time. I know. You can just sit there and do your Photoshop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I'll be snoring. Anyway, uh, well, thanks for thanks for listening into this, and I hope you got something out of Jason's story. If you did, please go to the iTunes and rate and review the show and uh, send it to one of your friends that wants to be a photographer. And uh, you can see all the steps that it takes to make it as a photographer, as a working photographer. I think you have to, would you say you have to be a bartender at some point to be a working photographer? Sure, it helps. Sure helps. Well, you have a lot of good Because you're not making any money when you start. Yeah, so. it takes a while. 
takes a while. All right, Jason, we gotta we gotta get to bed early so we can go catch some giant it. trout yep. with Will Taylor tomorrow. Absolutely. All right. Thank you.